Good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. Thanks for coming out on such a cold morning. Um, ready for the cold weather to go on. Anybody feel that way? Okay, a few of you love cold weather, a few of you ready for spring. I'm done with it. Hey, we are in between series. If you are just joining us, we typically at Forest Park speak in series format, but we are in between series. So today I'm bringing a standalone message. Next week we're going to do something a little different as well. Then we're going to begin a new series in which I'm really excited uh, in February. So you'll hear more about that as we get closer to it. But today it's something I just wanted to share with you, something been stirring in my heart for a while. And I'm hopeful this will be challenging to you, encouraging to you as well, give you a lot uh, to think about. I'm going to be as direct, as transparent, as honest as I possibly can. For those of you who attend Forest Park on a regular basis, you're, you're familiar with that, you're used to that. Those of you who may be somewhat new or maybe this is even your first time, uh, as direct as I'm going to be and as transparent as I'm going to be might come across a little uh, difficult or a little uh, different, I should say, maybe for you, but that's okay. We'll... Uh, We'll, we'll get through it together. There are times if I were not a pastor with responsibility, I would walk out of the church, hang it all up, and pursue a different career. Now, I know that might be somewhat shocking to you, or you may have a difficult time understanding why I would say that, but sometimes I, I wonder if it's worth the pressure. I mean, building relationships, making friends, trying to inspire, recruiting leaders, weekly teaching, counseling, putting out fires, raising money, little returns often on um, investments in relationships and all the different things. The older I get, the more knowledge I collect, the more experience I gain, the more understanding I have of people, the more uncomfortable I feel within the walls of many churches. That might sound selfish, it might sound defeatist, negative, it doesn't matter. I'm just being honest. Maybe at my own peril, I don't know. But I'm not alone. In fact, for tens of thousands of people scattered across our landscape, they wake up on Sunday mornings, crawl out of warm beds, get their kids up, dress them, grab a Pop-Tart, eat a half bowl of cereal, something, hurry to the van, car, truck, drop their kids off in the nursery, and walk into sanctuaries all across our nation just in time to experience bad music, boring speeches, and guilt trips from people who have no clue how to function in a real world. And it's why hundreds of thousands of people are walking away from the church. It's why so many people are saying, I'm done with the whole thing. I'm just finished with it. I'm tired of it. I have better things to do. I have bigger dreams to pursue. They're done. And when they do show up, this is just my experience, in a lot of churches, what they get from the platform are guilt trips, fear, can't do this, can't do that, must do this, must do that. This is what will make God happy. This is what will disappoint God. This is what's allowed in the church. This is what's not allowed in the church. And God is presented as bipolar and determining what makes him happy or angry is quite complicated. But wait, there's more. Christians who criticize people outside the church, it just really rubs me the wrong way. You remember, some of you remember this, a few years ago, had all the arguing about Starbucks, remember that? They were trying to suppress Christmas and churches were getting together and pastors were getting together and doing everything they could to help encourage people to boycott 
you know, Starbucks. And the bathroom debate, remember that big argument? Men's room, women's room, gender neutral bathrooms. You know, didn't you just want to just get tired and just go, you know, go pee already? I don't really care, you know, just. <laughs> then there was the gay marriage debate and then the abortion debate and tax cut debate and Obamacare debate and Trump debate and gun law debate and build the wall, no, don't build the wall debate. And now we have the mask debate and the vaccines debate. Don't you just get sick of all that? Tired of it? And it seeps into the church? And many Christians and pastors just get in the middle of all of that stuff and somehow Jesus gets mixed in with all of that. Scripture gets mixed in with it. And those are just a few elephants in the room that a lot of churches and have and we don't want to talk about it. A lot of Christian homes have. We don't want to talk about it. We spin it. We minimize the impact of it. And, and people by the tens of thousands across our nation are just fed up with it. They're burned out on it. What they perceive are churches filled with hypocritical, guilt-inducing, critical, flag-waving, hypercritical, whining Christians, and they're checking out. They're just done. It's like, I'm sick of this. I, I could do this at work. I don't need to go to church for this. So what's happened is millions of people have created a private faith. They've walked away from the local church. They've just created their own private faith. They stay home. They pray on their own. They watch sermons on YouTube or they listen to worship music when they want to. You know, they choose whatever on their iPhones. They, they give to charity when they want, but they're done with the local church. They're tired of it. Others, and I talk to them all the time, they've become bitter. They've become angry at the church, bitter and angry toward God. Millions of other people, just indifferent. They just don't care. It's like, whatever, you guys deal with it. I'm done with it. I don't really care anymore. And it's created a, a large group of what I call spiritual refugees. There's people who've walked away from the institution, but they don't really have anywhere to go. They, they wander around. They're looking for somewhere to belong. And some of them created little groups of six or eight at their home or five or six over here at a restaurant. They're just like, I'm just done with the machine. I'm done with the institution. I'm done with all the fighting. I'm done with all the labeling. I'm done with all we're in and you're out. No, no, no. We're in, you're out. They're just done with all that kind of stuff. And they're just, they're just wandering around. They're looking for somewhere, something into which they can sink their spiritual teeth. But they just hadn't found it. And I'm not sure how it makes you feel when I stand up here and say, I get it, <laughs> but I get it. I've done this a long time. I get it. I understand that frustration and that anger and that feeling of just, oh, do I have to deal one more weekend with all that stuff? I get it. So to the spiritual refugees among us, whether you're in the room or you're sitting at home watching this or driving down the road listening to it or sitting on your bed in your underwear, I don't know. To those of you who feel just a little bit like this or feel kind of like you're that wandering around and you're not really sure where you belong, first of all, I know you and I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And, and it's, the, it's the reason I'm bringing this message today. I just want to kind of press pause on all the sermon series we're doing and all the things we're talking about and just kind of press pause and talk to you for a moment. I just want to speak with you just, just a moment because I, I don't have all the answers, okay? So before we get into this, I don't have all the answers. You're going to leave here today. You still might have some questions. You probably do. I don't have all the answers. But what I want to do is invite you over the next few minutes into a conversation. I just want to share some thoughts with you, share my heart with you a little bit, help you see maybe from a little different perspective. You may get to the end of this and go, okay, 
thank you for that. I appreciate it. I don't agree with it, but that's okay. Or you might get to the end of this and go, hey, you know what? I hadn't thought about that before. That's a really good perspective. Okay, and here's, here's what I want to share with you. When you push away from everything that I just said, I mean, just like you're sitting at a table with everything that I just mentioned laid out, all the institution and the fighting and the labeling and the groups and all the different stuff, all the politics, all the stuff that's got mixed in there. If you just imagine at a table and you just push away from the table, you just stand up from that. You just get away from the whole thing. You push away and you pay very careful attention to the teachings and the life of Jesus. Here's what you'll find. Jesus walked away from the established religious systems of his day. And he went into the streets and he talked with people. Real people. People the religious crowd rejected. People just like many of you. Just like many of you watching online. People, people who only wore suits to weddings and funerals. People who might drink too much, smoke too much. People who struggle with having dirty minds, people caught up with their careers, people obsessed with making money, people who didn't think a whole lot about God or the Bible or whether life really had an ultimate purpose or not, people who slept with people other than their spouses, people in Jesus' day who enjoyed the theater and the games more than they enjoyed going to the temple. Jesus just walked away from all the institution and went out into the streets and met with people just like that. Talked with people just like that. And Jesus felt completely comfortable with people who had all kinds of bad habits. All kinds. And, and what's more amazing to me is not only that Jesus felt comfortable around people like that, people like that felt comfortable around him. That just blows my mind. In fact, Mark chapter 2 so as Jesus went out beside the lake again, the whole crowd came to him. The whole crowd came to him. I love that. There must have been something about him that was so attractive because the whole crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphys' son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes, Matthew. And he said to them, and follow me. Levi got up, followed him. Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house, Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners. Notice that. They were looked down upon, tax collectors and sinners. They were looked down upon by the religious institution of the day. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Indeed, many of them had become his followers. Who became his followers? The, the tax collectors, the sinners, many of them had become his followers. When some of the legal experts, the religious leaders of the day, the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Now, why, why were the religious leaders so shocked? Because going to where the people were wasn't how it was done. You come to us. We have the answers. We're the experts. You need something. You come to us. They didn't, they didn't go into the streets. Eating with people who didn't fit the part wasn't how it was done. Jesus went out to where real people lived, and he invited real people to reconsider his father. Not the religious institution, not the religious systems, not the moral majority, 
Not even a set of beliefs or behaviors. Jesus didn't hold up a set of beliefs or behaviors and say, okay, now, uh, you know, I'll eat with you, but I got to make sure that you sign off on this. I got to make sure you believe these things, that you behave certain ways. He didn't do that. He invited people just like you. He invited people just like me into a relationship with his father. And he flipped all of it upside down. And it shocked the religious leaders of the day. Now, what I find fascinating is Jesus wasn't about shaping people to fit a religious system. And he wasn't about excluding people who didn't fit a certain shape or meet a particular standard. And he wasn't about holding up a set of beliefs or behaviors and like hoops and say, okay, you got to jump through these rings. you got to jump through these hoops. Do these things and you're in. Don't do these things and you're out. Let me get really direct with you, okay? This might be a little, little hard for some of us. It all depends on your perspective. He didn't try to bring prayer back to Rome. He, he didn't try to make Israel powerful. He didn't hang religious hoops for people to jump through and then you know, design church steps for people to walk up. He didn't protest. <laughs> Jesus didn't together with his disciples and make these signs and go out and protest. He didn't do that. He didn't argue with the government over the definition of marriage. He didn't argue with people who live differently or believe differently. And he didn't expect the government to solve all the problems. And he didn't look to Rome to pay for everything. And he didn't define success as military power or wealth or influence around the world. He defined greatness and success and power as love and forgiveness, and compassion, and humility, and honesty, and serving. He said, hey, you want to be great? Wash feet. You, you, you want to be powerful? Turn the other cheek. You, you want to change the world? Here's a towel, not a sword. You want to do things that influence generations to come? Forgive not once, not twice, 70 times seven. You really want to make a difference? Meet the woman caught in the act of adultery in the street. Defend her, protect her, challenge her to live differently. Make all the people with the rocks go away. He offered forgiveness rather than retaliation. He offered hope rather than hate. He welcomed the stranger. He forgave the sinner. He loved the outcast. He empowered the weak. He humbled the powerful. He praised the meek. He challenged the wealthy. He honored the poor. He launched a kingdom. Unlike anything this world had ever seen before, he launched a kingdom with the weak and the meek and the powerless and the poor and the forgotten and the marginalized and the outcasts. And you know what he said about those people? Mark six, Matthew 16. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And we look back 2,000 years, and we know that that is so true. The church is alive and well today. Yeah, we go through problems. We go through ups and downs, ebbs and flows. We have good things. We have bad things. We have scandals, and we have revivals. But it's still here, 
The church is impacting the world all all around this globe. Yes, all that's true. We know that now, standing 2,000 years later, we look back and go, that's been fulfilled. That is so true. Nothing has been able to shake the, the church to the point that it cracks and falls apart. But how do you think they felt in the moment? They didn't have 2,000 years of history. The church hadn't spread around the globe yet. Rome was in power. With the foot on the neck of anybody who stood up and said anything other than Caesar is Lord. And Jesus says, you know these these poor fishermen, you know these uneducated people standing here? The the outcast, the broken, the hurt, the marginalized, the forgotten. These, I'm going to build a church made up of these people. And the gates of hell will never be able to conquer it. That was radical. So here's, here's what I want to do for the balance of this message, okay? I want to revisit with you. I've shared this before, but we need to be reminded every now and then. I say, hey, let's, let's press reset every now and then. Let's just kind of stop and let's refocus every now and then. Let's just say, Here, here's what we want to be about. Here's, here's the kind of church we want to be. So what I want to do is I want to share with you three features of God's kingdom, God's church. And when they're in place in a local church, it causes people to embrace that church, not run from it. It causes people to say, I want to be a part of that, not I'm so done with it. In other words, when we look through these three lenses that I'm going to give you, we perceive a church to accept rather than a church to avoid. Now, these three are not I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on each one. You're not going to be here all afternoon, I promise. I'm going to give them to you quickly. But these are three absolute essentials that makes, I think, a local church an attractive church that welcomes, that causes people to want to come listen, that causes people to gather just like they gathered around Jesus. Okay? Now, you're going to leave here today. You might have more questions. But these are three things we need to talk about. Number one, a spirituality shaped like Jesus. Let's be very carefully. Everything in the book we call the Bible points to Jesus. Everything. Every verse, every story, every occurrence, everything makes a beeline to Jesus. In fact, you could look at the entire Bible like a funnel. No matter where you start, eventually you're going to drip right down into Jesus. Every single thing, everything we learn in the Bible should cause us to follow Jesus more closely. Our faith should look and smell and taste and walk and talk and function and pray and understand and grow to become more and more like Jesus. Becoming a good Pentecostal or Baptist or Catholic or conservative or liberal or vaccine supporter or mask hater or constitution lover should not be our goal. Our goal should become more and more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we become like Jesus, we don't get everything we want. We don't get everything we deserve. We don't get everything we've earned We don't complain over it and fight over it and leave over it. Instead, we forgive when we've been wronged. We endure under the pressure. We bear under the weight with humility, knowing God's purpose and his kingdom will come to pass. For he said he would build his church and not even hell itself would be able to conquer it. And we're part of it and we link arms together and we stand under the pressure knowing that we will come through 
for our Lord and Savior will make sure of it. Seeking to become more like Jesus in every single area of our lives, our pattern, our behavior, our model. You know what that means? It means that we leave behind a Baptist-shaped life or a evangelical-shaped life, or a Pentecostal-shaped life, or a conservative-shaped life, or a liberal-shaped life. We leave behind all the other shapes and embrace the one and only shape that matters, and that is the shape of Jesus. Number two, a table large enough for them. Who's them? Whoever you put in that category. Whoever them is to you. You see, to, to, to many churches, the table spread for the community is much too small. In fact, there are not enough seats to go around the table. So you've got to somehow almost like have a membership card and you've got to meet a certain standard before you can sit at that particular table. The table is too narrow, it's too restrictive, and people can smell exclusion 10 miles away. Tables and the kingdom of God represent a place where we connect with God, where we fellowship with other people, where we are accepted if we're hurting, where we feed those who are hungry. We celebrate God's goodness in God's kingdom. Everyone is welcome at God's table. A bigger table is about looking for what unites us rather than what divides us. A bigger table is about extending the table so more people can sit with us, not sawing it off, so more people are left standing. A bigger table is about amazing hospitality and about inviting all who will come. You know how I look at myself as a pastor when it comes to the table? I look at myself as, as just a doorkeeper. I'm just standing at the front of the restaurant and someone comes in and says, hey, I need a, uh, I need a table for three. My job is not to go, uh... You guys aren't dressed appropriately. Let me, let me make sure that you will fit around our table. Uh, do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you hold this? Do you hold to this value? Do you? My, that's not my job. I'm just a doorkeeper in God's kingdom. My job is to go, hold on just a second. I'm going to do everything I can to find you guys somewhere to sit. Hey, can you guys slide down just a little bit? Let's, let's, hey, we need to add an extension onto this table. Come on in. Is there room? Absolutely. We will find room for you. Come on. Come on. So if you're wealthy, you are welcome. If you are poor, you are welcome. If you are married, you are welcome. If you are divorced, you are welcome. If you are addicted, you are welcome. If you're black, white, brown, you are welcome. If you're old, you are welcome. And that's becoming more and more emotional to me as I say that. If you are single, you are welcome. If you vote this way or that way, you are welcome. If you hold to this value or that value, you are welcome. Come on, come on, come on. A bigger table is about running into the streets and letting everyone know the doors are wide, the lights are on, the good is abundant, and you are welcome. A table large enough for them. Third, an orthodoxy generous and kind. Now, orthodoxy is not a word many of us are accustomed to using. Orthodoxy is about beliefs. It's about the faith, what we rally around, what we hold to. 
And orthodoxy, generous and kind, is just that. It's beliefs that are generous, not rigid. Kind, not difficult. I say this all the time. Many of you have heard this before, but in the essentials, of our faith, what absolutely matters, the absolute essentials of our faith, we're going to have unity. We're going to rally around the essentials of our faith. In the non-essentials, and there are many of those, we're going to have liberty. And in all things, we're going to have charity or love. Orthodoxy, generous and kind, is about realizing how many areas are non-essentials. When I was growing up, we had a lot of essentials. A lot. In fact, our our list was long. You, You had to believe the following things. You had to agree to the following things. I've learned over time that there are only a few absolute essentials and there are many non-essentials. Let me just give you just a few of them. Whether you lift your hands during worship or not, it's a non-essential. If you want to lift your hands, man, lift them high. If you don't necessarily like to lift your hands during singing and worship, liberty. Whether you sing or not, non-essential. In fact, some of you, if you would not sing, would be mercy. (laughs) Non-essential. Whether you use certain words, you know, that's, that's liberty. Whether you use this translation of Scripture or that translation of Scripture, that's a liberty. Whether you smoke, chew, and hang around with girls who do, you know, that's, that's a liberty. Whether you speak in tongues or not, whether you believe in the gifts of the Spirit or not, it's a liberty. Whether you vote Democratic or Republican, it's a liberty. Whether you're for more government or less government or whatever else you want to call up in the political spectrum. It's liberty. Liberty. It's not an essential of the faith. An orthodoxy, generous and kind, puts love of God and love of people above all the other non-essentials. An orthodoxy, generous and kind, says this. Hey, let me ask you a question. Sure. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and he rose from the dead? Yes. Then we are brothers and sisters. We'll work out the details later. Let's rally around what absolutely matters. Matters. All the details, all the liberty things, we'll talk about those. We'll work through those things. Now, what does that mean? How do we practically carry this out? This, this last one, three thoughts on this last one. How do, what does this mean for us? Number one, it means we can accept one another first, critique one another later. Folks, there are things about me you might not like or things I believe or don't believe with which you disagree. That's okay. In fact, that's good. That's healthy. That's passionate debate is necessary. You can come to my office and see hundreds of books that I have. And one person sees this scripture and this this belief a little differently than this person. And some of the greatest, you know, truths and theological uh, books and things have been written because of people debating. And they see it this way and they see it this way. And they write from this perspective. And this person writes from that perspective. And people sit down over a cup of coffee and debate certain scriptures and debate ways of looking at this or that. Wonderful. 
awesome. We need that. It stretches our mind. It causes us to think more. It causes us to read more. It causes us to dive into the scriptures more and wrestle through things and figure out what's, what makes sense and what does it and how does this line up with that scripture and that scripture. That's maturing. That's seasoning. That's growing. That's awesome. We need that. But disagreements about the non-essential should never divide us. It should never drive a wedge between our relationship. What you believe about X, Y, or Z or how you practice X, Y, or Z should be discussed and debated and talked through and expressed and then laid aside if it ever begins to divide us. But over these last few years, and through this pandemic and all the political uproars that we've seen, folks, as a pastor of a church, I've seen churches split and Christians lose relationships over political opinions more so than I have seen them split and lose relationships over scriptural truth. Today, in our world, people will leave their local church and leave fellow Christians much faster for their politics then they will ever leave their politics for their local churches or fellow Christians. You tell me which one's on the throne, Jesus or their candidate. That ought not be, but it's everywhere, everywhere. It means that we can accept one another first, love each other first, eat together first, critique the different details later. An orthodoxy, generous and kind, also means that we can passionately deliver the good news and invite people into our families, our churches, without the pressure of making sure they agree with or change everything first. We can proclaim the good news, invite people to Jesus, put the bottom rung in the ladder, if you will, so they can step on it and begin their growth and begin their maturing and asking questions. We can do all of that with confidence before they figure everything out before they make all the changes. And you know what that will mean for a local church? That means that our local churches ought to be filled with people who think differently, who worship differently, who practice differently, who believe differently than one another. We ought to have people sitting in our local churches who are very mature and seasoned and understand scripture and can teach it. And we ought to have people who are very ignorant when it comes to the scriptures and aren't sure at all what this means. We ought to have people who, who, who are filled with faith and we ought to have people who are filled with doubt. We ought to have people who've broken the back of addictions and have walked away from some very damaging behaviors and we ought to have people who are still struggling with addictions and damaging behaviors. Because if our doors are wide and our table is big and our orthodoxy is generous and kind, we're going to have all kinds of different people. And all kinds of different people is a sign of health. All kinds of different people at different places on the spectrum. That is a sign that the church is open to all people and doing everything we possibly can to love and meet people where they are, going where the people are, the sinners and tax collectors eating with us and we eating with them. So if everybody is welcome, then our churches should reflect everybody. And the third if we're generous and kind in our orthodoxy, we can take the pressure off ourselves and others to understand the mysteries of God in life. 
It means the pressure's off to understand, figure out, believe, settle all the mysteries of Christianity and religion and prayer and the Bible and philosophy and humanity and mental illness and on and on and on. Folks, I've been doing this a long time. I still have a lot of questions about a lot of things. I still don't understand how all this is, works together and how the brain functions and mental illness and humanity and marriage and relationships and the dynamics of things. I still have questions about prayer and, 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 and the mysteries of why God does this and why this doesn't. I, all that stuff is there still. Some are answered, some are not. But you know what? When our orthodoxy is generous and kind, we can take the pressure off ourselves and off of other people to understand all those mysteries and figure all those mysteries out. I don't have to have it all sorted out. Not right now. I can follow Jesus and sit at God's huge and spacious table and hold on to a few essential beliefs and rest and relax in God's grace, knowing that he is my Savior and he has me firmly in his grasp. Yes, we grow. Yes, we mature. Yes, we change. Yes, we lay down damaging habits and behaviors. Yes, we pick up healthy and life-giving behaviors. Yes, you need a religious word for that. That's called repentance. Yes, but all of that is covered in a spirituality shaped like Jesus. Because as we walk toward him, we become more like him. So we lay down things that do not look like him and embrace things that do look like him. Life is a, our journey is a long process of repentance. But here's what I've learned. A lot of people are so hungry, so tired, so beat up with life. They need to sit at the table and be fed a warm meal before they ever jump in the shower. Have you ever been so tired when you come home, so worn out when you come home, you just need to eat? We need to let people come in and eat. Let them get the nutrition they need. Let them get the warmth they need. Let them get the love they need. Showers come. Cleaning up comes. Now, before I close, I want you to imagine these three things working together in a church. A spirituality that is shaped like Jesus, a table that is big enough, large enough for them, and an orthodoxy that's generous and kind. I want you to imagine a group of people, people just like you, just like me, real people, pursuing, living, thinking, acting, walking, talking, behaving like Jesus. And this same group of people, same group of people, prepare a huge table for any and all who want to be a part. And we sit down and we eat together. And we support one another. We love one another. We learn together. And, and we pull up chairs constantly and say, come on in, come on in. Come here. Yes, there's room. Yes, there's room. Yes, there's room. And while we're sitting at that table, we're, we, we talk about God and truth and love. And we focus on the essentials and what we know is true. And we embrace where we're similar in our beliefs. And we look for the bond of unity. And we pursue truth wherever we can find it. And we passionately and lovingly and respectively honor everybody at the table. I want you to imagine that. I tell you, I, I, I would run to a church like that. I would, I would give to a church like that. I would, I would invite others to a church like that. I, I wouldn't be done with that church. I wouldn't avoid that. I would embrace it. I would pray for it. I would, I would love it. 
And I just think there are hundreds of people who need that, thousands of people who need that. And only you can help create that. Your love, your support, your invitations, your living like Jesus. Only you can help build the table large enough for all people. Your smiles, your warmth, your giving, your generosity. You're saying, come in, come in, come in. You, you. You're the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have millions of spiritual refugees across our nation. People who are wondering and they're not really sure where home is. And we, leaders, we, churches, have not always done a great job proclaiming the good news. We've not always done a good job finding places for people to sit. We've not always done a good job. In fact, in some ways, we've done a horrible job. We've hurt people and pushed people. We've put politics at the center. we put certain cultural issues at the center. And every time we put something else at the center other than you, we push you to the margin. And Father, because of that, people who've come in to eat and come in to find warmth and come in to find shelter haven't found that. What they found is another religion. What they found is another institution. What they found is another man-made, human-made thing, machine. And God, some people have tried and tried and tried for years to fit into it. Other people have said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm finished. And I pray that through all the struggles of the pandemic and all these years, and all the stuff we've seen from scandals to on and on, I pray that it causes us to search our hearts deeply, our ways, to consider our ways, and to call ourselves back to the center and to put you at the center, to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to lengthen that table, to broaden that table, to invite them all to sit there, to love them as you've called us to love them, to forgive, to wash feet, to serve. Thank you for this challenge today. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives and through this local church. May we be an example in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for coming today. We'll see you.